I would dare to say that some of the most important stories go untold. That many deep hurts that are hidden behind closed curtains never come to light. I hate that there is suffering in silence. I hate that some people never feel understood about how they grew up. And I hate that some people never knew the abuse they experienced wasn't right. The Untold Story Project is a collection of stories from people who've said yes, I want to speak out to bring education, empathy, and hope to those around me. My name's Mary, and I hope you are blessed by this episode of the Untold Story Project. Hi, Luca, and welcome to the Untold Story Project. Hey, thank you so much for having me on here. Of course. I'm so excited to talk to you to learn a little bit more about you and your story and a little bit behind the passion projects that you're working on here at Global U. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What do you want to know? For our listeners, in case you haven't heard of Global U, we are a group of people that travel around the globe. Currently, we're in Ukraine. And we build projects to make an impact on the world and hopefully make the world a little bit more like Christ would want it. And so I've been very inspired by your project and the story and passion that you have behind the project that you're working on, Luca. Um, So can you explain a little bit about the project you're working on? What is it and what do you hope to do? Uh, Yeah, both and is a project I've been working on. And the goal and sole purpose is to basically go out of business uh, because our aim is to make uh, every foster child in America feel seen, heard, and loved. Wow. I love that phrase that you want to make your business go out of business. I think that really just shows the heart for what you're working on. And can you explain a little bit about the inspiration behind your project? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So I got this calling uh, from God through a friend here at Global U, actually. I was talking about how I was, uh, I've been adopted twice, and she said that I should create some kind of lesson plan for parents who are adopting internationally. Uh, now, this both and deals specifically with foster kids in the U.S., so a bit different from my situation. But the main goal is the same, is to make sure that everyone who doesn't have parents still uh, feels seen, heard, and loved. Wow, I love that. That's a pretty big undertaking for sure. How do you feel about working on this project? Because I'm sure it's it's a heavy subject, um, and especially from your background. So what's kind of going through your head as you are putting this business plan together to actually run this thing? Um, again, I said the idea came all the way back in November, and I really didn't start working on it um, until about February of this year. And throughout that entire time, I went through a lot of personal self-examination, asking other people for an outside perspective because, you know, you're always stuck with you, so you have your own biases about you. And so I really just had to ask the Lord, my friends, my family, myself, if I am ready to handle that kind of project, if I'm ready to handle something so close to my heart and then put that on a stage and be able to separate any criticisms from myself. Again, separating that idea of identity. Yeah, it's hard when you're working on a project because especially when you're so passionate about it and it's your baby and then you throw it out there and you don't know what's going to happen or you know how things are going to go and if you're going to be able to reach the goals that you have in mind because you're so passionate about it. 
But yeah, I just want to commend you overall. Once again, you've done the research, you've done the introspection, and I'm really proud of you and happy to see this come to life. Thank you so much. It is not without heavy self-examination that you ever embark on a project like this, but these are the projects that are worth doing. It requires a lot of a lot of grace for yourself that I personally don't even have the capacity for. I have to rely on my community and my friends at GU and the mentors to have that grace for me when I lack it. Wow, there's a lot to say in that. But I think there really is a difference between going after something that you just want or, you know, maybe care about versus something that you're like burning with passion about and you're not going to stop until you see the day come where things have changed. And so I'm so glad you found a community of people who support you, who believe in your mission and believe in you as a person as you're walking this hard journey too, because of course we care for your heart as well. So I believe you had said that part of the inspiration behind your project is because you yourself have been adopted and been adopted twice, correct? Uh, yeah, that is absolutely correct. So the first adoption was an international adoption from China when I was uh, three, no, I was four years old, sorry. I was four years old and I was put on a special list because I had some extenuating health circumstances. And so the uh, family decided to adopt me because they saw that I was on that list and they uh, decided to go ahead and adopt me. Um, And the mother of the family had a lot of her own hurts from the past and she just saw them in me and it manifested in her as a very unhealthy psychological headspace. And it got to the point where it was actually unsafe for me to stay at that home. So at the time, the father of that first family decided to go ahead and uh, relinquish guardianship of me to the state of Colorado, where he oversaw the process of me getting placed with a new family. So technically speaking, I've actually been in both international adoption and foster care. Oh, wow. That's crazy that you've gone through both experiences. So um, do you mind if I ask, do you have any clarity on your birth in China? Do you know anything about your birth parents or have a desire to know anything about them? I mean, I've had this question since, since before I even had the words to express it, but I've always wanted to know my birth parents. I've always wanted to get to know them, to meet them. Um, and also to like, you know, tell them that I'm, you know, okay, that, uh, that their kid's okay. However, the circumstances of me being in an orphanage are actually that I was found abandoned at a train station in this in a massive uh, transit hub. So the capacity to trace my family without genetic tracing is incredibly difficult um, because there's no record. They, they never dropped me off at a hospital. There was no box they dropped me, dropped me off at. There was no paperwork. I wasn't giving, given over at the hospital. I was actually just, the first documentation of my existence is actually the police report of them finding me as a two-week-old. So my birthday, actually, I don't know what my birthday is. Uh, That's actually just an educated guess. They looked at me and they're like, he's about two weeks old because they found me on August 14th and my birthday, legally speaking, is August 1st. You know, as I'm listening to this and praying at the same time, I keep thinking that, you know, even though is not a lot of documentation about your birth or about your birth situation that 
God knows, you know, and he won't forget that. And I'm sure that doesn't necessarily take away the pain or the questions that you have. But um, I just like want to reaffirm you as we're talking, just because it came to me that it's beautiful that God knows all of those things that we don't know about herself or don't have answers for. I would say it definitely pairs with with learning a hard truth early on in life that you're not in control. Pairing that with faith also helps to know that A, you're not in control, but also that someone else is and they have it handled. You know, I, I think that's a part of learning trust is knowing full well that you are completely incapable of controlling or understanding even the grasp of a lot of situations but also making peace with it and not demanding anything out of it. And that part about learning truths early on in life, when we have a lot of challenges early on, like you've shared with me, um, I'm sure you've learned a lot of hard lessons early on in life. And I just pray that those really allow you to continue to pour out to other people, even though you're still young. So how has this impacted your view of your identity over the past 21 years of your life? I mean, I'd say it's one of my biggest pain points, but also one of my biggest points of motivation. And I don't mean that in like the, you know, uh, motivational speakers that don't know what they're talking about kind of motivation, but in like the deep understanding of knowing yourself at the core of who you are as a person because only only when you have put something to the test do you know the true nature of it that you find the quality of something when you test it you know in the bible the first thing that god is called the first thing that god is titled as the first title given to god is creator you know in the beginning the heavens and the earth were bare and he created light the funny thing is that juxtaposes my first declaration, I guess, which was abandoned. The first word that describes me is abandoned. And I think that has lived with me and I carried that title for a very long time. That I carried that belief of myself that I was something to be discarded for a very long time. And I still do often identify as that, as unpleasant as it is. And as far as I have come, that still does rear its head occasionally. And so it's... The first five years of your life are the most foundational. They they literally build your personality. Normally, children are considered relatively blank slates, depending on what school of psychology you come from. But ch- children are normally blank slates developmentally um, until about five years old. Uh, those are normally the years that form your personality, your attachment theory, your capacity to connect with other humans, your motivations, You know your Enneagram, uh, Myers-Briggs. A lot of times it determines basically the machine that you become to function in the world. And mine were full of incredibly unstable situations, incredibly traumatizing things to a five-year-old, and a complete lack of understanding of their environment and a complete lack of security or attachment or trust. And so over time, I've had to gradually unlearn all of these things, and I'm still very much in that journey and process. But going through these things allows you to have a greater depth of being able to understand someone else's pain because it doesn't shock you because not only does it not shock you, but you can fully understand and empathize. And I don't wish dark things on people, but going through dark things allows you 
to see more depth in another person. It allows you to see through whatever facade they put up because you've put up your own facade. And Luca, we're friends, and I would say that you you see people really well, and you have a lot of empathy toward others in a way that I would say is pretty rare. And you see depth, you see people for who they are. So um, I'm proud of you for continuing to use your circumstances for good. What have you learned about what God tells you about who you are? Well, if you're just starting out, if you're just starting out to um, try to delve into relationship with God, if you're just, again, it's like relationship with any other living being, with any other person that can cognitively understand who you are as a person. Their voice is very small. Uh, It's not uh, easy to spot. You don't know a lot about that person's character. It's hard to make judgment calls on things that person would say or intentions that person has for you. And so my journey being relatively new at this point in time, or at least at the time of this recording, um, I'd say I've grown greatly in intimacy with God. And I believe that uh, he often very much asks you for permission slash your consent to things because you have to choose in to being vulnerable. You have to choose in to letting him speak. Much like any other person, if someone tells you something, uh, you can choose whether or not to believe them. When your parents or, you know, maybe parent, maybe family isn't the happiest subject for a lot of people, but when your friends, when your close friends that you choose to have, when they speak something into your life, when they say you're smart, you're kind, you are great at this game, you know, um, that has more weight than someone who doesn't know you saying the exact same thing. And I think it's this duality of, what God has to say about you only increases with the more intimacy and then the more permissions you give God to in, into your heart. I'm not saying God necessarily needs all the permission because Saul to Paul, like flash of light, told him to go do this big booming voice from the sky. But often God works in whispers and he's the most quiet one in your head. And that's hard to sift through all the thoughts that normally surround identity and what God has to speak into your identity. But I found a very clear pattern is just if it affirms life and joy and happiness, then that's from God. If if you if it's a friend or a text that just comes at the perfect moment when you needed to hear exactly the words that are that you read in the voice and tone that you hear it in, that's from God. Because God made every single person and he he crafts them you know everything else in creation god speaks into existence but with if you notice in adam and eve story when he created them he said he took the dust and he formed it into something he took earth and he formed it into life and then he breathed life into it so by the biblical definition we are the only thing that god actually built everything else was spoken into existence and i think that just speaks bounds into the idea that every person is made beautifully and wonderfully and fearfully in god's image and so when someone who knows you that intimately who has built every atom and electron that comprises the proteins that comprise the cells and then the organs and then the whole of you and the structures when someone knows you that intimately 
in every way you were made, in every journey he puts you on, and he speaks life into you, that is not misplaced. That is not... And yeah, so if you haven't been told this, you are worthy of being loved. You're worthy of being seen and heard and known. The question is, do you believe you're worthy? Or will you allow yourself to be worthy of that? Man, Luca, I love that you describe God in such a kind way. And sometimes we forget, especially in our tradition in America, just how kind and patient and intentional God really is, right? Like he loves us enough to whisper kindly and give us a choice rather than force things on us. And he always has the best intentions in mind. You know, as I pray and also read scripture, you know, I've never read or heard anything of God saying anything negative to us, you know, like everything is done out of love. Everything is done in an uplifting way and wanting us to thrive in a joyful environment. And so um, I just think that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So zooming back out to a little bit more of your story, um, your parents, your first set of adopted parents in America, do you still have any relationship with them? Uh, actually, yeah, I am fortunate enough to still keep in contact with the father of the previous family. And that's, I think, the closest I've gotten to, you know, meeting my birth parents is to meet the first adopted, uh, adoptive set of parents. The first couple of meetings I've had, I had with him, you know, I had, I had basically the same set of questions that any adopted kid has, you know, why, why did, why was I given away? Uh, and then also some of the more hurt feelings as well. Um, impairing with meeting that person Uh, like you know why did you adopt me and then give me away like because my five-year-old understanding at the time is so I was picked by this family because of x thing so they must have given me away for z reasoning you know um, I thought that it was something that I had done to my effect and so I carried that burden for a really long time and I think I still do sometimes uh, have that burden on me but it's easier to let go now that I have the capacity to have that free dialogue and that free open questioning with this person. And um, yeah, it's been a very interesting uh, relationship with that person, reconnecting um, with that parent, because he actually still does have uh, two daughters that were also adopted from the same orphanage uh, that did get to stay. And so that was also a big pain point of like, why me? Why did I have to be the one that got moved, not the other kids. So yeah, there was a lot of hurt bet- uh, within the idea of being chosen um, or considered the odd one out. And how long were you with your first family? The first family, I believe I had one birthday with them. So I was four and then I turned five and then I was adopted into the next family. So I think it was uh, nine months about. Okay, that's not too long. And you had mentioned that your first adoptive mother was carrying a lot of hurts, and that was part of the reason how it became an environment that you couldn't stay in any longer. Um, Do you have any clarity as to why you had to leave, but your other siblings didn't? It was due to the fact that some of the problems that I had uh, and the ways I expressed pain... Uh, reminded the mother of the way that 
her father expressed pain. And so it, I should really draw you out a whole diagram. But the way that the father of the first family's mother was a very unhealthy person and very abusive uh, to her. And so she actually saw some of the behaviors that he had. And she had to take care of him also in his abuse and anger and frustration because that was just her the role that fell on her shoulders. That was just the burden she uh, decided to pick up and had to carry for a lot of her life. And so me expressing some of my own hurts, even as a five-year-old completely unaware, it triggered a lot of memories and a lot of pain for her. And so that was really hard. She wanted to lash out at that pain because it was now in a smaller less threatening format. And often what we want to do is whenever we see a version of our pain that we haven't dealt with is we want to attack it. We either want to run from it or we want to attack it. And I now realize as 21 years old that that was not on me as a five-year-old. But as a five-year-old, I did not understand this. I just understood that I did something and someone didn't like it and that caused me to leave a family. So that was a really big hurt of mine. Man, well, I'm just sorry for five-year-old Luca. And 21-year-old Luca, that that had to happen, but it is very encouraging to hear you talk about that experience a little bit different now that you realize that that wasn't necessarily you or anything that you could have done. I'd say a core belief of mine is that we often experience our first hurts, our first traumas at a very young age. Maybe it doesn't feel like a trauma now, obviously, but the first, our identity is founded in those first five years. So often we experience a trauma or some kind of hurt that leads us into our de- identity today. That pattern normally follows itself and reinforces throughout the rest of the developmental stages, normally through high school. And then once we get to college and further on, we really begin to act out of that identity because we're let out into the real world, quote unquote. But my belief is just that five-year-old you does the best they can with what they have. They're five-year-old or maybe seven-year-old, you did the best you could with what you had, and you became a fighter. And I don't believe that you should have had to fight. I believe your parents should have fought for you. But that's not how life works. It's unfortunately not the case for most people. But now your job as an adult is to bring that five-year-old home because you're still living out of that five, six, seven-year-old mentality that's your fight or flight that's your instinct that's your capacity to be a warrior and to fight for your own life and to survive to the next day and there's nothing wrong with it there's nothing dark about that i don't believe in humans are capable of darkness i believe we're capable of pain and expressing that but your responsibility now as an older person as a adult is to bring five six seven year old home make them feel safe make them feel loved explain to them that the world isn't that scary explain to them that they don't need to fight anymore because in that process you will have to learn have to have grace for yourself because if you've been through trauma if you've ever had anything bad happen in your life if you have ever lost a loved one at some point you have found some way to blame yourself for that it helps me at least understand my own pain and understand my own expressions of it because when i get angry or frustrated i get angry that i got angry <laughs> Yeah. And I think that that's where a lot of freedom is found, right? When we look at those past hurts and actually decide to, to work through them, you know, and it's crazy. Um, 
that when we're young, so many of those things still impact us through our developmental years and even into adulthood. But I also really want to point out um, something so beautiful. You said that you don't think that humans are capable of darkness, but they are capable of pain and expressing pain. And I think that that lens, when you look at people that way, wow, I think that really changes the game. And I really do believe that's how Jesus sees people too. Yeah, I mean, if you look at scripture, if you notice that every time God convicts people uh, of anything that they've done, he doesn't point out that they're like, you know, you are a terrible person. He doesn't, he never labels them. He never says you are horrible. He says, you are human. You made this mistake, but there are consequences to that mistake. And I understand that, but he never says you are this. He says, you are still loved but there has to be consequences to that thing. And I think that's really the view of the parent it is like God really comes in as a father in a lot of scripture, even in ways we don't often classically believe so, but just that underlying grace for all of our failures, our, all of our biggest failures, you know, I, like I like to take the example of Saul because like, there's not much worse you could you really do. Up. <laughs> there's not much worse you could really get to than genocide there's not really any bars higher than that and god brought him and said you have been doing something incorrectly i love you still but what you're doing is not good it's not helping people but you have great capacity for love and compassion and you're not using that and he said let me show you how and let me send you on a life of being compassionate and loving and expressing that love to other people um Again, that parental thing of like they don't just get angry; they're they do this in the sense too. The punishment is not delivered with enthusiasm. I've noticed that, but the redemption of it he does with great enthusiasm. Um, Noah's Ark, like he he opened the skies and made a rainbow and was like, "Look at how beautiful that is! Like, let me show you the beauty of this new world." But he was like, "I I don't want to do this, but." the world is dark and horrible and I need to send these plagues to Egypt because nothing else will make this person understand that I've claimed these people as mine. Nothing else will make this Pharaoh king understand. Yeah, I think it just speaks bounds to it. Yeah, and I mean, when I have read through a lot of the Old Testament recently and also reflected on my life, I can you can definitely see the parenting qualities of God, right? And that, you know, I can't remember if it was in Joel or what book it was, but he's like, you know, like these hurts that are brought upon you or that have happened to you. He's like, I mourn for those two. He's like, I don't want that to happen because I love you and I want nothing but to see you with me and to see how some of those hurts have been used to shape Israel, you know, back in the day or, you know, even me today, my hurts, he's like, this sucks, but like it also gets you to wake up to the truth of who I am and the truth of freedom, mm-hmm. right? So not necessarily that God brings every hurt upon us, right? That's not necessarily what I'm saying, but things that are either traumatic or painful or whatever it may be can continue to wake us up to who God is and our life in him. And honestly, at the end of the day, that's kind of all that really matters, which is really cool. Yeah, there's uh, not much beyond that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of speaking of redemption, I know the word fathers or speaking of redemption, I know the word father and the word mother often have have to be redeemed for us, especially if you've experienced various hurts within our earthly relationships. 
and our families. So how has God been redeeming those words for you? It goes back to grace. It goes back to two very, very basic, easy to understand concepts that we never actually understand. And that's the first is you are born to be loved. And the second is that there's abundant and infinite and amazing grace always available. And whether or not you're a believer, that's uh, besides the point. Like you are born to be loved. You are physiologically, like biologically, biochemically hardwired to seek out companionship and other people. You are built to connect to other people. You are built to live in community. You are built to, you know, our adrenaline response is literally built to burst save us so that we can continue enjoying community and living with others. When God says have like a childlike innocence, I think that also applies to understandings that we have in psychology. When God says that children follow me more uh, with more faith than you do and that you should follow God with a childlike innocence, it's very similar to our understanding of psychology, which is when a child you know, falls at the playground, it will immediately look to the parents. And if the parents just, you know, wave and say hi, like if nothing's wrong, the child will just get up and keep playing. But if the parent you know, like jumps up and looks scared and concerned, the child will start bawling. And normally that actually determines whether or not a child like uh, resilient to certain pains, like when they're like learning sports. And I think that's how we should continually be with God. Like whenever something bad happens, like we look back to God and we're like, is this something we should worry about? And normally when someone in a higher position of authority, we still do that as adults. If you are in a nuclear power plant and the nuclear engineer is very calm when a big beeping sound goes off, you're fine. If they panic, you should also panic. Man, I love that because I always feel that when I bring something to God or pray about it, I always just picture him saying, like, not worried at all, you know? I mean, like, you have no idea what's going on. Like, everything's in my control. It's totally fine. You know, I never imagine God, like, panicked or stressed. I've never got that sensation. And so that's just pretty cool that, you know, as the parent, when you go to him, he he's not going to tell us everything's going to be easy all the time, right? But he's going to be like, you know, in the long run, he's like, you've got nothing to worry about. That's pretty cool. What would you say to other people who have been adopted and might be struggling with the identity of being adopted? Um, I would just say we accept the love we think we deserve, so raise your standards. Well, Luca, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm glad I got to learn a little bit more about your story. I'm so excited for the project that you're working on with foster care and adoption. And before we head out, I want to give you the opportunity if there's anything else that you'd like to say to me or anyone who's listening. I would just say know that even if you aren't, if you don't, even if you don't believe in God or heaven or the Bible, even if you have any other belief system and you're just listening, you're seen, you're heard, and you're loved. And um, that's all that's important, to be seen, heard, and loved. And in turn, to see, hear, and love others. So, yeah. To be seen, to be heard, and to be loved. 
I think that not only captures the vision for your project, but I think that's a lot of what we're trying to do here as well with the Untold Story Project. So if you're listening and you think that anyone could be seen, heard, and loved by listening to Luca's story, feel free to share it um, on any social media platform. Thank you.